Welcome to Boston's Best of Metro West podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in the Metro West area of Massachusetts to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they rose above the inevitable challenges they faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of Boston's Best of Metro West podcast. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in the Metro West area of Massachusetts. My guest on today's podcast is Ina Bachman. Ina is a money empowerment coach and the owner of Bachman Coaching. Ina grew up right here in Framingham and now resides in Newton. Ina works with everyone from individuals to couples and with business owners to really bring out their income potential. In this episode, we talk in depth about what it really means to work with a money empowerment coach. Were you brought up with certain beliefs around money that has limited your potential as an adult? Do you hide certain financial aspects of your life with your spouse? This is where Ina comes in. She works with you to set your future goals in her outrageous goal session and makes you believe what really is possible. We also talk about how Ina had always pictured herself as a teacher when she was a child, how that has led her down the path of helping people and ultimately founding Bachman Coaching. Ina helps you put a seven-step plan together to end your money conflicts and teaches you how to tap into your own wealth. And be sure to listen to the end as Ina shares her why, how referrals have been her main source of marketing, and how she defines success in any given year. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best of Metro West. Welcome, Ina Bachman. Ina Bachman owns Bachman Coaching. She is a money empowerment coach. How are you? I'm great. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. This is a powerful topic, so I'm excited to chat about it with you. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where did, where did you grow up in the area? Sure. First of all, I just want to say thank you for inviting me on the podcast. It's actually a real honor, and I'm excited to be here too. And um, yeah, I would just really appreciate our relationship through our BNI and that we, you know, both deal with money, but from very different angles. So it's exciting to actually talk to you about that here. Uh, And yes, I grew up in Framingham. So I am a Middlesex girl and I actually graduated from what was then called Framingham South High School. It's now called Framingham High School. Um, We had two back in the day. Nice. Yeah. I actually didn't know there were two high schools. I'm new to Framingham. I've only two years this month I've been here. So that's, that's good to know. You know, we'll get into what it is you currently do. Tell us a little bit about, you know, as you grew up, you know, what was, the very first career you ever wanted as a child? Like, what was your dream job? Uh, what was your very first job? Your most interesting job? Give us a little background on that. Sure. Well, first of all, just to let you know, I'm a clinical social worker. Um, so I have a master's in social work. And then I have a certification as a tapping into wealth coach. But my dream job was to be a teacher. Like if when I was 6, 10, 12, 15, you asked me what I wanted to do, I would have said I'm teaching. Um, which on some level I do now I realize, yeah. you know, and, and I love to talk <laughs> <laughs> and I love to talk in front of people. So, um, and I do a lot of public speaking. So I guess my teaching has come through, even though I'm not a teach, uh, an official teacher. Yeah, definitely. So that's, yeah. Let's see. Favorite jobs. You know, I did a lot of jobs in retail. And then I actually, you know, I got my degree in psychology. I went to UMass Amherst as an undergrad, got my degree in psychology. I worked at a a very intense job in a psychiatric hospital for a few years. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, lots of interesting stories there, but got great exposure 
on the bottom level about mental health. That's really, really, you know, you know, you kind of have to, you have to do those bottom jobs, you know, before you can move up in the world. And that was great. I learned, you know, I got exposed to all different kinds of mental illness. I ran groups. I led substance abuse programs. I did family treatment. You know, it was like, it was a great job, but I also realized that I wanted to advance my degree because I just wanted to move up in the world. I didn't just want to be a mental health worker the rest of my time. So I went and got a master's in social work at Boston University and started working out in Taunton, Massachusetts. And I worked there for a long time, helping them run an outpatient program there. It was both working with drug and alcohol. It was working in a with people in a psychiatric day treatment program. And then I was also doing outpatient therapy. I got a little burnt out there. And then I moved into um, employee assistance, which was actually something that was it kind of moves me more into that teacher level. Um, I'm still, you know, in an EAP, you're still doing counseling. And maybe you guys have heard about EAP that, you know, there's different ones. Usually every corporation provides some kind of short-term counseling. So I liked more the organizational piece. Um, And that's where I actually started moving into coaching at that point, because I was doing counseling, but I also was doing leadership coaching. And I was working with senior leaders, working with people in really high level positions who are leading large teams. And I just kind of got my feet wet and said, I really love this. I love helping people grow their skills and really get better at what they want to do. That's kind of the difference between therapy and coaching. Therapy is about dealing with a problem that needs to get solved. And it's kind of like a long-term kind of process. And coaching is, hey, let's take where you are. Let's set a goal and let's just move forward and see where we can get from there. And I love that idea. You know, I love really helping people move into the best version of themselves, which is, you know, kind of the grand idea of coaching. Yeah, it sounds like you've really been led down this path. I mean, if you want to be a teacher, you are teaching people. It's just, you know, as a, you know, it's just not in the classroom. You know, you're teaching, you're teaching people in a lot of different ways. So, you know, so how did, I guess, what is a money empowerment coach? Like, let's get into the meat of this. Like, give us an overview of, you know, what, what it is you, that you help people with the types of people you help, and really how the the process works. Sure. So I like to say, I so I have actually two branches to my coaching business. One is working working with small business owners, and the other is working with couples, Mm -hmm. um, and particularly around their money issues, specifically on their money issues. With small business owners, I like to say I work with business owners who are fabulous at delivering their services, but they're not so great at bringing in money or dealing with the business end of things. And they want to take their business to the next level, but they're really, they get blocked in doing it. So one of the things that I do is I actually help them get real clarity about what's getting in the way. Then I help them clear out some of that stuff. And then I help them build the skills they need to actually take the action and the steps to take their business to the next level. So like, I'll give you an example, because sometimes examples illustrate it better. I had, and and just to tell you that the examples I give today, I never want to give obviously specific people because I want to protect people's privacy and confidentiality, right? I'm sure you do that too. Things are, some of the details I switch around just so people can be, um, feel like, their information is private. So this is a woman who came to me because, and she's actually a coach herself. She was really good at working with people one-on-one, 
but she knew she had the skills to go to an organizational level and start working on with organizations. Um, but she knew somehow she kept getting in her own way and she didn't know why she was doing that. And she knew she even had the context to move into the big organizational world. So she um, actually, I led a group at one point called Tapping Into Wealth Group, and she participated in that group and decided to meet with me one-on-one after that. And in the group, in the one-on-one, we did all the different money empowerment processes that I like to do that actually give you that clarity. And she began to realize that she grew up with some very specific messages around money, but also around boasting about yourself. Okay. Because in order to be a really good business person, small business owner, you have to be able to make yourself visible. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's even bigger now with online, right? Where we can't meet with people face to face. So we have to figure out visibility virtually. But she, as we dug a little deeper, she realized she had all this anxiety would come up for her every time she thought about, you know, putting a post on Facebook or creating a video or, um, you know, just putting herself out there. And what she discovered um, growing up is that her family had some really specific rules, like kind of unwritten rules that you just learn growing up in your family, that one of them was that you never boast about what you do. You never, especially girls in the family, because she had two brothers, but the girls weren't supposed to be, you know, the success in the family. You don't want to outshine anybody. And you certainly, they would always look down on people as being, you know, who did that were like too pushy or too kind of obnoxious. So she kind of got those messages drilled into her. And so it made it really hard for her to do exactly that. That's what she needs to do to sell herself. Right. And and online, you have to like be bigger than life because people are just like being bombarded by information. Like, how do you stand out? But luckily we were able to use some of the tools that I do with people to clear that. And that actually... Uh, expanded her visibility, her presence. People really started getting to know her. It also built her confidence because she didn't realize that those beliefs were actually eating away at her confidence. And, you know, you need confidence and you need excitement, you need passion. Like those are some of the superpowers of building a business, right? And that was all being deadened down by these old beliefs she grew up with. So when we broke through that, she really got out there and her business grew and to the point where when we were finished working together, she ha- was now only working with organizations. She didn't need to do the one-on-one work anymore. Her um, finances doubled. And the cool thing was, is that her clients' financial finances doubled as well. Wow. So there was a real explosion in uh, a lot of different areas for her. It was really exciting. Money can actually take you into all these interesting places. And then when you can clear that stuff, you can actually really grow your business. That's one example of what I do with people. No, that's great. And it's interesting too, just the psychology behind it, right? You know, the beliefs you have as an adult, a lot of times are ingrained from what you just grew up in as a child, right? So a lot of times your your parents or your grandparents' beliefs turn into into your beliefs, uh, whether you agree with it or not. It's just kind of been ingrained in you. So people really need to get through that barrier. And, you know, I think you brought up an interesting point when you mentioned boasting, there's a difference between boasting and just making people aware of what it is you do, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're allowed to share what it is you do without being obnoxious about it. You know, if you can, especially if you can help specific clientele or specific people. And to what you said, I think social media is just huge these days. Everybody gets bombarded, but even now more so everybody's just been inside for the majority of the last six plus months that everyone's just scrolling on their phone. So how do you stand out? So it's, it's, that's a really interesting point that you bring up. So how did she, does she just start doing a lot more 
social media videos and social media posts or? Mm-hmm. Well, she, I think that the main thing is the block in her confidence, right? So as she, as she began to realize and release these kind of old beliefs and really begin to hold on, on the truth of her, well, like the amazing skills that she could offer and that she, you know, that like you just said, it isn't, it isn't about the ego of boasting. It's about, Hey, I've got something to offer and I could really help you make a difference in your own life. Right. And she moved into really the passion about helping others. And so, yes, she started doing it through marketing at that point. Also, she was making great connections. So, you know, video online, really boosting her website. But also when she was having those sales conversations, when she finally got to the point where she could have the sales conversations with people, they were going so much better because she really believed in herself, like 110%. So then the other person she was selling to believed in her as well. And that's really where it was showing up for her is is, um, being able to take a sales conversation into a client, enrolling that person into a client. And, um, and that's where things actually started really going well for her. So it all starts with belief set, right? You, you come across a lot of people that just their belief set or their confidence are just, are just low for whatever reason. Is that a common theme you, you see? Definitely. Well, there's a lot of, it's very interesting, right? When we talk yeah. about money, like it, you know, people don't realize how money is kind of like a mirror. Like you start to look at your, how you feel about money. And then it brings up all these other pieces. And um, like, you know, you heard me talk about this earlier today. I like, uh, one of the things I like to do with people is talk about like the five types of money. You know, we've got debt, we've got savings, we have income, we have income goals and toxic money. And I'll explain the toxic money in a moment. But just by having people begin to, you know, take a look at a number and what it represents for them, they begin to realize all the ways that they feel about that. Like for some people, the minute they take a look at their debt or their savings, they start to get like a full stress reaction in their body, right? It's kind of funny. Like they'll notice that their heart starts to race, right? Like for some people, their their mind just goes cloudy. And this is something that I talk to all my clients about. It's kind of part of the assessment that I do with them. Okay. Because what we want to do is find out where people are, I would say, get triggered around their money, which is where they start to have a reaction to it. So there's um, debt, savings, income, income goals, and toxic money. And then I'll explain toxic money in a moment. But when you just say, for example, you have somebody write down their savings, okay, they write it down a piece of paper, and immediately looking at that number, they may start to have an actually a stress reaction in their body, like they might start feeling their heart racing, or their mind just kind of clouds over and they go blank. Or um, sometimes people get pissed at me. It's actually interesting. Like, <laughs> you know, like I start telling them to talk about their money and they start getting really angry with me. Uh, and actually, I had a situation one time where I had people think about their money in a group in a seminar I was leading. And somebody like got really angry at me and actually walked out of the out of the meeting. Wow. wow. <laughs> I know. It's that strong. Like thinking about money triggers our fight or flight response, which is actually what that is, the stress reaction. Wow. And that's where you get the mind-body connection with money. And I have them take a look at the number and look at what's going on for them. And then also start to see what comes up in your mind. Like that's a really intense thing for a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, I know people who are so 
avoidant of thinking about their debt that they get the the bill notices from their credit card companies and they don't even open them. Yeah. And they just put them aside, right? Because they, it makes them so anxious they can't even open the bill. And so we want to dig into that. Like, what is it that's getting triggered for you? Because that exact feeling that either that fight response where you get angry and annoyed or the anxiety response, you get the heart racing and your mind clouding over or something in the middle of that. We want to, we want to discover that because that's getting in the way of your business. That's one of the things that stops you from actually dealing with the money in your business and growing your business. As you begin to dig into there, you begin to see there are memories connected to that. Like if you talk to people about their debt, they may tell you about a financial investment they made like 20 years ago that completely failed, Mm -hmm. right? And they have so much embarrassment about it that it's become kind of a secret in their own mind. But every time they look at their debt today, it all comes back to them and, and all the feelings and embarrassment and what was I thinking? And I should have known better and all the shoulds they do to themselves. And that's something that can really block them in their, in their business and in their money. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know if you come across that when you're working with people also. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So a couple, a couple of topics I'd love to get uh, your insight on. So one, you know, talking about money is taboo to a lot of people, right? I mean, one, maybe they're embarrassed of debt that they may have, or their, their income isn't as high as they would like it to be. And on the other side, if, if somebody has a good income, if they, if they talk about it, people may think that they're boasting or bragging about it when really like they're just talking, why can't people just talk about certain things? And then, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And then what you had brought up as far as bad experiences go, in some way I can relate to it. I mean, I'm pretty transparent with everything I have going on. You know, when I bought my first home, I bought it in October of 07, you know, October 17th. So it just happened basically 13 years ago. Six months later was the crash of 08. I mean, my house, was I was 23 and my house was underwater by like $100,000 at this point. Everything just crashed. I mean, I made it through, I, I could make the payments you know, in that respect, that was fine. I sold the house 12 years later and I sold it for just $30,000 more than what I bought it for 12 years earlier. And, you know, so the appreciation on it, like that sucks. But at the end of the day, I got back, obviously the equity that I put into it, but just overall the, you know, that, that hurts. I was jaded by real estate for a little bit. It's interesting because I'm trying to get into real estate now, but I was jaded by real estate because it was subconsciously, like it was just deep ingrained in me, like real estate's a bad investment. It's just, Timing is everything. And, you know, uh, timing can really make or break it sometimes, but that was just bad timing at the end of the day. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. I was 23. Like, I just, I was excited. I bought a house, you know? Right. Um, but it's None interesting. None of us knew, right? None of us knew that wouldn't happen. No. Yeah. And it's interesting because you said, you know, the, it's, it brings back memories and that's immediately, you know, it's been, I'm 36 now. It was 13 years ago, but that's the very first thing I thought of. So I can totally right. relate to what you were saying. Absolutely. That's a great, thank you for that. That's a great example. And for some people, it goes even deeper than that. You know, it's interesting. Also, you asked the question, like, why is money taboo? I think that's a great question. And when I, I also have this other branch in my business where I specifically work with couples around their money issues. And actually, in two weeks, I'm going to be speaking at MIT on this topic, which I'm really excited about. Do a little self-promotion. This is... This is the third time they've invited me back to do this talk because I get such a great turnout because money is such a hot topic, especially for couples. Couples say that up to 70% of couples fight about money. It's one of the things they fight about. And it's one of the top three reasons that couples end up in divorce. Right. So it's obviously 
And we've got all this taboo around it in our society. Um, and when I talk about couples and money, you know, we talk, we go into what is it that makes money so hard for couples? And one of the things is that for some people, money equals identity. Mm-hmm. Like I'm only valuable by the income that I bring in or the income that I can show other people that I have. Right. Yep. And if I'm not feeling good about the money that I have, it means I'm actually not feeling very good about me personally, that I'm actually not a good person or I'm not valuable in some way when you make that really intense connection. So I'd rather it be a secret and I don't want to tell people about it because I don't want people to find out about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where the taboo stuff comes in somehow. Or, you know, because there's people have a lot of secrets about their money. And for couples, that can be really toxic, right? You can't, you know, secrets and couples and money creates a lot of, a lot of big problems, but it's actually one of the big things that couples fight about um, when it comes to money. You know, I've had pe- people tell me, you know, they got married and only after they got married, did they find out how much debt their partner was in. And now it was their debt too, because they're yep. married, right? Stuff like that. Repeatedly, I've actually heard that story. I, you know, I think in our society, because we do make that connection somehow, and maybe because we're more capitalist in our society, maybe that's why that money is so highly valued, but that you, who you are can be defined often by your money. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that it's taboo. Yeah, it makes sense. It's funny. I was thinking, you know, my wife and I, we've married, been married just over a year now, known each other almost four years. I'm pretty sure even on my first date, somehow it came up as as far as debt goes and I, it wasn't talked about in a negative way like neither one of us had any debt so which i think she was like i remember that being a good thing i remember being really <laughs> happy that you didn't have that but that was on a first date that doesn't really happen very often but i think somehow it just came up i don't know school or businesses or loans and that type of mortgage you know that type of stuff came up so when you had said that you know a lot of couples don't talk about it until after they're married i laughed to myself i said we, i'm pretty sure we talked about that within the first date that we yeah. each other, which is which is pretty funny you know, it's what you said as well. When we got married last year, we got married in August. So I remember us sitting down in September and we were like, all right, well, let's, let's figure out what expenses we each have on our own, which ones are going to be our combined expenses. And like, how do we do this? I remember us trying to like, we filled out, you know, a, a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet cash flow that I give to people that I work with. And we just did that exercise on our own. And it was very, it was a very valuable exercise because it really it highlighted what areas based on the previous month that we spent extra money in on ourselves and to and combined and it's a really valuable exercise. So I think if you're gonna spend your the rest of your life with somebody, you got you just need to be transparent with that type of stuff. But you know, if you're hiding something from them that early on, it's just gonna cause problems later on. I think it's a yeah. valuable exercise that everybody should do. Just having these type of conversations early on, it's huge. And when they don't, they see you. <laughs> <laughs> they come to you first, then they come to me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, absolutely. You know, and, you know, on all different levels and money is just a great metaphor for relationship too, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, if you're not transparent in one area, what else are you not being transparent in other areas right. of your life and your relationship too? It can, it, it, you know, so this is a great segue for talking about what toxic money is. So, you know, toxic money is when the relationship has a money component to it. Um, where the person either feels that they're owed a certain amount of money and they're holding that the other person kind of in resentment or, you know, like you owe me that money, right? Or somebody's controlling another person with their money. 
Two examples uh, might be um, one of my clients, his dad was incredibly wealthy and had, you know, just huge amounts of money. And he never actually has to work because he always has his father's money. But what he discovered is that he also was controlled by his father's money. So if he wanted to make choices and decisions about his own life, his father basically would tell him what to do to the point where the relationship became so toxic for him and for his own self-esteem, right? Um, Because he didn't have to go out there and make money. He didn't really get, you know, a lot of the self-esteem we get from creating a career and going out in the world and selling ourselves and resumes and, you know, being successful. Like he didn't have that. So he didn't have the self-esteem and he also had this dependency issue and also the sense of always being controlled by somebody else and not really the owner of his own life. Um, so he decided to actually disengage from that relationship with his dad and take a break from it, particularly financially. Yeah. And it was huge. And he took time away from the relationship. He had to build his own life and build his own career. But when he finally got his feet solid in the ground financially, then he felt like he could go back as equals with his dad and have a better relationship with him. Wow. Um, so that's one way that it was toxic on a bunch of different levels for him. Then there are people who maybe get injured at work and go on workman's compensation, but never get back to work because they, they're waiting for that big check to come in the mail and that they're kind of obsessed with it. And their whole life kind of falls apart because yeah. they just will never go back to work until they feel like justice is done. Um, but that, that means they, there's so many losses for them, whether it's losses in their relationships, losses in their self-esteem, losses in their career, all that stuff. So that's another way that money can be really toxic. And, and when people go through divorce, right, there's the child custody and the alimony could work fine, or it could be somebody is holding out on somebody around something in, in that relationship. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, powerful stuff. It is, isn't it? It's fascinating too, you know, how um, it can be, it can really control someone's life like that, you know? Yeah. The psychology around it is is crazy. There's a lot of psychological, like deep psychological thoughts and feelings that seem to dictate a lot of this. There's a common Absolutely. Theme. Yeah. Wow. Can I just okay. add another one to that? Absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's another one I think is really fascinating, which um, in the world of tapping into wealth coaching is called the money shadow. And the money shadow is when you believe that money itself is bad. And some people grow up with these values, you know, like you've heard uh, things like money is the root of all evil yep. or, you know, money will corrupt, you know, don't trust the rich men, you know, because they're always going to stand on the backs of the poor people to get what they want. So you get these, these kind of beliefs around greed. And so you start to have a conflicted relationship with money where you feel like money's bad, but then you realize you need money to have a lifestyle that you want to have, you know? And I work a lot with um, therapists and people in the helping professions and, um, and me as a social worker, I completely get it because I, on some level, had that at one point for myself as well, where you go in the field to social work to help the downtrodden and advocate them against the man who's trying to push them down, right? And to fight for justice. Yeah. But then you get to a point, if you're a therapist, where your clients actually start making more money than you have. And they start going on vacations and owning cars and homes that you can't afford. And so it becomes this kind of conflict where you're like, well, wait a minute, I want that, but I don't want that. 
And so the work that I do with people helps unpackage their relationship with money. And often that's what we find is that if you have these unconscious beliefs that money is evil and uh, people who have money are greedy and bad, and that's all there is to it, it's like black and white thinking, then that's going to stop you from um, being able to actually have the lifestyle that you want to have. And I actually feel very passionate around helping people in that profession. And maybe because I, I'm from there, I'm one of them, you know, um, and I, and I had to learn myself about my own money shadow and what was holding me back, you know, and, um, begin to rethink that and figure it out and see that there are actually amazing people out there who do incredible things with their money and they change the world towards the good through their money, you know, and yeah. so helping to, to shift that that kind of concept around money. That's interesting. The money shadow. Yeah. And just the, that quote, money is the root of all evil. Uh, you know, it, for some reason we all know that quote and it's just ingrained in us. And I remember a few years ago before I got into in the industry, I'm in now, I just thought I was going to be making a certain amount of money for the rest of my life. Like, this is what it is. This is my lifestyle. And it, it wasn't until I got into my industry where I just really realized how much money is really out there in that world. And money doesn't care which pocket it's in. You know, it's just money's going to be in someone's pocket. So may as well try to put it in yours. Uh, and there's just a lot of different ways to do it. You just need to accept that there's a lot of money out there that you can make in this world and just put yourself in the right positions, talk to the right people, uh, get some coaching. You know, you, you can really you can really change your life financially if you wanted to, as long as you just don't let it Im- impact your, you know, your personal your personal life and let it ruin it in other aspects. So absolutely. And and for those people who want to help people, right, that they go into their profession, because they have a mission to help those who have less, you're going to be able to help them a lot more. If you have the resources to do that, right, you being down in the ground and downtrodden with them is not going to be able to really make that move the move the measure or move the things that you want to move to reach them into a better life. But if you actually become a resource and allow money into your life, right? And don't see it as a force for evil, really see it as something that can shift everybody around you. It can act, it's, it's a very different mindset for yep. sure. Absolutely. I think mindset's huge. How long ago did you begin Bachman coaching? And I guess what was that tipping point? you know, at, at the point in your career where you said, this is, I'm going to go for it on my own. Cause you're going from a, a consistent paycheck, I would imagine to a zero dollar salary. So like what got you to that point to, to begin your own, your own company? Doing EAP work, we do a lot of disaster response. And that means either I would be on the ground. So the, a disaster, meaning like a natural disaster, like a hurricane or a tornado or a fire. Um, and we would be on the ground helping people who were survivors or um, the workforce on um, supporting the workforce on the ground. And so in 2012, uh, Hurricane Sandy hit, right? The East Coast and Northeast and particularly New York and New Jersey. And I was managing a team of people on the ground who were responding to disasters. And it was, it was overwhelming and it was a 24 seven job and it, you know, it was really intense and I put my heart and soul into it. And then about four months later, five months later, actually six months later, the uh, Boston Marathon bombing happened. And so again, I was involved in a disaster response. And this time it was in the Boston area. And I was doing the response myself to employees who were directly impacted by the disaster and the bombing. And then six months later, there was a shooting at the Navy Yard in uh, Washington, D.C. And I was deployed to run 
grief groups and debriefing groups again for the survivors. I think there were like 20 people who were shot, you know, and I think about 13 people died in that. And as I was flying home from Washington, D.C., I also learned that my boss had gotten laid off and my coworkers had gotten laid off. Um, And I'm like, what's going on here? Here I'm giving my heart, my soul to this work that I feel is so valuable. But then at any moment I could be laid off. Right. And I decided I needed to find a plan B and I needed to come up with another way of supporting myself. At the same time, I realized that I wasn't making a lot of money and that there was something in that. Yes, it's true. It's still absolutely true. To this day, even in the Boston area, you know, women still make 70% of a dollar that men make. And women of color can make as low as 50% to the dollar of white men. Um, So there's that true in our society. But then there was also true inside myself. How was I holding myself back? How was I not letting people know that I was worth more than what they were paying me? And those combinations of not feeling valuable by my job and realizing that I perhaps was holding myself back made me really interested in this opportunity that came across my desk, which was to get trained as a tapping into wealth coach. And I'm like, whoa, money coaching. This sounds really good. I want to find out more about it. And so I, I took the course and I started getting trained in it. And I was in there. I did my own personal transformation around money, but then also got really excited about helping other people as well. And I had a plan B. Now I have, you know, now I have a way of not being dependent on a um, salary position and I could start to really build my own business. So that became wow. really exciting for me. Wow. That's awesome. How long, how long was it where you were building your own business before you just focused on just Bachman coaching? So I think, um, you know, I, I think the last two years I've been focusing a lot more on Bachman coaching. I still have like part-time other things that I do, okay. but the Bachman coaching, I say takes up, a, you know, it becomes more who I am. And right. um, over the last couple of years, I said that it's really grown for me a huge amount. That's awesome. That's awesome. You've done a lot of seminars. We can get into how COVID's affected you, uh, you know, if at all, you, you can't really do packed rooms anymore with seminars. Um, actually, many- I disagree. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I actually see more people now. I've been doing a lot of seminars. Um, I had one that had almost 300 people in. And the one that I'm doing for MIT in two weeks, I've got over 100 people signed up already for that. And they're getting like a 90% um, show up rate for people who sign up for their seminars. So I actually get more of an audience now than I did before. It's harder because, you know, one of the things, I, one of the reasons I like to do my seminars is that's one of my marketing tools, right? Um, I love public speaking, but I love public speaking in a room where, you know, you can feel your audience and they can feel you. And they're not like sitting there on their computers doing, you know, other work right. in the middle of a seminar. <laughs> Hopefully they're not, right? <laughs> But, you know, that's the nature of today's calls. You know, people are multitasking and you don't get their full attention anymore. Or, you know, maybe half the room is, you know, doing something else. Um, So you really, I have to be a lot more savvy about how do I engage my audience when I'm talking through a video. The other weird part is that I can't see them most of the time, you know, because I've got my my slide up with my, um, my presentation. And maybe I got a little strip of like five people on the side if I'm lucky, yeah. you know, and the other 90 people have their video, their cameras off. So it's really strange to do, you know, at least I can see you. I can talk to you. You know, It's like right. doing a presentation. You're just talking to yourself. Yeah. Um, but I've actually really learned to adapt to that. It's the last six months have been a huge learning curve, but actually I'm really starting to appreciate 
some of the opportunities that online training gets gives you, you know, especially the exposure, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, if if COVID, you know, did anything for for business owners, it's it forced them to learn other ways to just go about their business because for a while we were stuck. Uh, we were quarantined and and just stuck in our homes for for a couple of months. Yeah, how do you go about marketing yourself? You know, you've brought that up a couple of times. What do you what have you found to be successful ways of marketing? What have you found to not really be worth the effort? Can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. Well, most of my business comes in through referral. So I love that. Like I said, my my top way of marketing is offering content through webinars, right? And through seminars and also through group trainings. Also, I love working with groups because then you get, you know, maybe about six meetings with somebody with a group of people so that you really get to know them. They get to know you. You start to build your credibility that way. You start to build the trust. And I think the key piece, it's one thing to put out content on the internet, but it's something else to actually get people to respond to you. Right. And that's the engagement part because it's really about relationships. Uh, I think all marketing is about relationships, you know, and so how do you build the relationship with people when, like we just said, you know, you got, they're getting, I mean, I do that. I scroll through my Instagram feed at night before I go to bed. Right. <laughs> it's like, it put me to sleep at night, yeah. you know, um, reading, you know, recipes and, you know, and yeah, once in a while, there'll be an advertisement that comes in, yep. but how do you get people to really engage with you? And I think that's really, you know, a lot of it is about, What's that point that's going to, how do you know who your ideal client is? I mean, I think one of the things I've done is, is really try to get really specific about my ideal client and then just get, you know, market to that specific client. Then I can really refine my message so that they can hear it, you know, and, you know, if other people hear it as well, fabulous, you know, right. Um, but if I get too broad, nobody hears anything and people yeah. get worried about being too, too niche narrow. Uh, but I think that's really where, where you're going to actually bring in the business is, is that way. Yeah. And um, you bring up a good point too, on a couple of factors. One, the focus, focusing on certain niches, niches, niches. I don't know how you say it. Um, you know, when you, when you start your own business, you cast a wide net, right? Cause you, you're willing to work with anybody and everybody just to get things off the ground. And as you grow, you whittle it down and you just, whether it's on purpose or by accident, you, you kind of fall into, a, a niche, a niche market. I, I cannot say that word. I know. A, a niche market that you just end up working a lot with, but it, it starts with casting a wide net and then whittling it down. And to the other point, building relationships, right? I mean, people want to work with you talking about their money and empowering themselves. They really going to know, like, and trust you. You know, this isn't a transactional type of job where people, you know, business where people are just signing up and watching some webinar and never speaking to you again, you're really trying to grow these relationships with people. And, you know, you and I have known each other for about a year now, you know, over the course of the past year, we've, we've learned a lot more about each other and we've, it's become more of a relationship than just, uh, just this is Ina who I see once a week, you know, we've actually know uh, what it is that we do in, in a lot of different aspects at this point. And that's business. Business is just networking and growing relationships and just constantly being around people. And I, I think that's huge when you're starting to grow your business. Yeah. For me, I remember I talked to you last week about that book, Never Eat Alone 
by yep. Keith Ferrazzi. And um, that was a huge aha for me when I read that book. I actually read it maybe 10 years ago, but I keep going back to it because um, he's kind of a networking king. And I'd have to say, I mean, I love to talk. I love to connect with people, but I'm also a bit of an introvert too. And there are times that you put me in a room and I could go shy, you know, wow. as hard as that is to believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not as much now, but it used to be that way. So, but actually learning about networking actually was, was really helpful to me and shifting my mindset about what do I do when I enter a room and how do I build relationships with people? And like you said, know, like, and trust. And trust is like the biggest factor, right? You know, if you've got trust, you've got the know and the like part already. If you don't have trust, and so really it is, and, and trust builds over time. And like we, like you were just saying, money is like, you know, it's so private. Mm-hmm. And I go even deeper because I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about their emotions about money or their right. failures about money or the thing that they don't ever want anybody to see. Right. So how do we get people to really trust us and feel good about the work that we do and, and, and reveal themselves? Right. And it does, it's all about relationships. And so yeah. then the question is, well, how do you do that online, you know, when with strangers and yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, that's, that's where the webinars really work because they get to know me more, you know, through the webinar. I often will share about myself or, you know, I think vulnerability is a really powerful tool for, um, building a relationship, you know, and, yeah. um, as they get to know me, I might talk about things that I've learned from or my mistakes and how I've grown from them. Then that starts to build that relationship with people. Nice. Yeah. So never eat alone. What was that book by again? I'm a big book reader. So sure. That's Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'll be one of the books. I, I'll probably order it right after we get off, uh, get off this, this zoom. I read for 30 minutes every morning and it's changed a lot over the past 18 months when I started doing that, how I view a lot of different things, the mindset and business. And so always looking for a good book. So that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. You know, so last few questions I like to ask uh, people, Outside of work, right? You know, we talk about your business, Bachman Coaching, but there's more to it. Like you said, people got to know, like, and trust you, right? So like outside of work, what are some of the things you do? What are some of, some of the hobbies you enjoy? Uh, I love so many things. Um, I love to, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where do I start? Uh, I love to travel, which is kind of a real bummer right now. We were doing a lot of international travel over the last couple of years. We were supposed to go to Italy in May. That got shut down. Yeah. Trying to plan a trip for Prague for next year, maybe next October. So right. a year from now, hopefully that will happen. I love the arts and I love uh, myself doing visual arts. Like I just recently uh, went to the uh, Cape Cod for a week and took an outdoor landscaping painting class. Nice. It was just fabulous because I love visual art, color, and then to be out in nature and yeah. on the Cape and relax. It was just a wonderful week. And I, right now I've been doing so much cooking. So I, that's like kind of like my, you know, end of the day. I am sick and tired of being in my head. And now I want to like use my hands and, yep. you know, put something together and mix up something and hopefully it will come out. But the fun of like just the creative experimenting of cooking, I've been doing a lot of experimenting. And, you know, I, I just love being with people and my friends. So we're just working really hard to find ways to be together. Yeah. This is really funny. I have a hot tub and, uh, in our backyard. And the other day I like measured it to see if it could be six feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> and like, 
at, at the angle, it's actually 11 feet, like outside of it. So it's like nine feet inside. So Perfect. I was like, yeah. So it was like winter, we'll be sitting in the hot tub, yeah. you know, having a beer or whatever. And that's, that's going to be uh, part of how I survive the winter. So that's really funny. You know, you got to get creative nowadays, uh, 2020 had different ideas for all of us, but I love to travel too. One, it's funny. I haven't done a lot of traveling, if I'm being honest. Um, one, my goal this year. So like when Andrew and I got married last year, our goal was, okay, let's, let's travel in 2020 and focus on traveling. Well, that didn't happen. You know, we should have been in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago. Greece was on our list. Iceland's on our list. We've heard great things about Prague. What are some of the, your favorite countries that you've visited? Yeah. So we, over the last couple of years, this would be actually, I have been our second trip to Italy. So we went to Italy, we went to Israel, we went to Ireland, the three eyes we got in there. And then we went to Amsterdam, we went to Holland and God, each one of them were so special. Um, I loved Holland because we actually went with a group of families. Um, there was five families all together. So it was like 19 of us and we stayed on a houseboat in one of the canals in Amsterdam. And uh, we had actually had to break up into two houseboats because we were too big for one. Uh, but it was, it, you know, just like an Airbnb, but we did a houseboat Airbnb and um, yeah. super fun riding our bikes through the city. It was so beautiful. I just was blown away by the architecture. The people were so friendly, so nice. It, it was just, I felt like I stepped into kind of a fairy tale story and stepped back in time also because it's yeah. just a very historical city. Um, so that I say right now, that's my top one. Although I could tell you something special about any other places we went to. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we'll mm -hmm. add it to the list when uh, we're able to travel some more. Mm -hmm. So last two questions. I like to ask people these two questions. If you could tell your 18-year-old self, well, everything you know now, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? I love that question. I think that's a great question. I could have, you know, it took me a while to really, what, what are all the things that I would tell myself? Um, I think the most important one is stop caring what other people think and trust yourself more, which are kind of a combination of the two, because I think that has been key to my growth, right? Is really realizing that I really, it's not about out there. It's really about in here. And the more I trust myself and stop caring, you know, not from a negative point of view, but more like, I don't need your approval, but I'm still, you know, interested in you and want to know about you, that that has really, you know, grown leaps and bounds. And I've been able to put that into place. Doing that earlier would have saved me a lot of time. Yeah, it's huge. It's so tough. Like when you're 18, you graduate in high school, you think you're an adult now, you think you're, you know everything. And it's not till I probably hit 30 where I realized like, all right, now I have an idea of what life is about. But I mean, you just... When you're that young, it's it's so easy uh, to think you know everything. And then you look back and it's just like, oh, if I knew what I knew now, if I knew it then, I could have been at this point so much more, so much you know, further along in my life. Right. For all of us, for every single one of us could say that. It is. It is. It's, it's so cliche, but it's true. It's, it is. Last question. Everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like. So mm -hmm. what does success look like to Ina Bachman? It's, it's very different now than it was even 10 years ago. Um, when I was a single mom for, from the age my daughter was 10 till she was about for 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And at that point, success meant security, financial security and being able to take care of my daughter and myself and our future. But now I've got all that and I felt, you know, and she's doing great. And I think it's more relationships. You know, for me, ultimately, success is relationships. And um, I remember reading the study um, from Harvard where they started with men, adult men in the undergrads, 
1938, and they're still studying them to today. Most of them have died, but there's still some that are still alive. And the ones that had lived the longest, they were both Harvard grads, and they were also people who lived in poverty outside in Boston. So they studied both groups of people. People who have lived the longest are not the wealthiest and live the most happiest lives and are the healthiest are the ones that have really satisfying relationships. Wow. Um, and, and that nothing else, everything else falls away as you age, right? As you get to a certain point. So I think that's really for me, that success now is, is the relationships I have. That's, that's awesome. That was the first time someone said something like that. Uh, when I've asked that question, I think that's a great answer. So. No, we'll thank it, you. We'll, yeah, we'll end it there. I don't. That was, <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it by talking anymore. Um, okay. Ina, thank you very much for coming on. This was this was great uh, chatting about you, learning more about Bachman coaching, and just how how you can help people in so many different ways. So really appreciate the time. Oh, thank you, Mark. This is fabulous. I'm really I appreciate the opportunity. It's been really great. Hey, everyone. I just want to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for the show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive, and I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Metro West area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bbmwpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed the episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash BBMW podcast, as well as Instagram with the handle at BBMW underscore podcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for the show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.